Well, good morning and welcome to Sunday at 10. We are coming live from Matt and Beck's place. And wherever you're meeting us this morning, whether you're in a home and you've got a cluster of people or whether you're a family around a kitchen table or whether perhaps you are just going solo, I want to welcome you here this morning. If there's one thing that's been constant in our time together over this last week is that it's, it has there has been enormous change and so we're going to have to just innovate and we're going to have to adapt over the coming weeks and months ahead depending on the information that we're receiving um, and so I'm really encouraged this week that the, the staff set out with two goals this week. The first one was to try and connect everyone together and so uh, thank you for many of you who have gone and updated your email details or your phone details so Steve can be having a clear point of communication with you. And the second thing that's been really encouraging is that uh, uh, Yvonne has tried to cluster us in groups. Now, whether they're going to continue to be physical groups that are meeting on a Sunday morning or whether they're going to be virtual groups, we're not sure. Um, but what we do uh, look forward to and hope is that in our time together, that even if we're meeting virtually or we're physically in the same room together, that we still remain connected. If there's one thing that we can be sure of, though, is that change is constant. So wherever you're tuning into us this morning, I want to say welcome. Welcome to Sunday at 10. Welcome to the new community. And in our times together over the coming weeks ahead, um, there's uh, four things that I think would be really valuable for us to be able to uh, achieve in our times together of a Sunday morning. See if you can pick the common theme. So the first thing I want us to be able to do is to be able to gather together. So whether that's going to be physical or that's going to be in the same space or a virtual um, sort of connection, we want to be able to still gather together, having a sense of connectedness together. The second thing is that I want us to engage our Bibles together. So if you need to run to your room right now and get your Bible, if you're used to using your phone, I would encourage you to use this space to actually grab out a Bible and engage with it. It is a source of life, it is a source of truth, it's a source of wisdom and power. And so I would love for you and for all of us at New Community um, to be able to engage with our Bibles together. The third thing, see if you can pick the common theme here, is I want us to be able to pray and worship together. So Peter and Craig, they've gone uh, ahead and placed some connections, some links to music that at the end of our time together or perhaps you want to meet together as a group if you're still meeting together as a group beforehand and play some of that music as a worship space and then what I'd love to be able to do is to have us to be able to pray together now Yvonne next week is going to teach us to use the platform Zoom so if you're in a virtual space you can still be connected in the same meeting and be able to pray for each other together fourth thing I'd like us to achieve in our Sunday morning times together is to be able to serve together now whether again that is uh, going solo or as a group uh, there's this sense of oneness in our movement together. And of course, if you can pick the theme, it is together. Whilst all of the various forces might want to pull us apart, I'd love for us to be able to say we are doing this together because that is going to be the critical thing that we maintain a sense of connectedness and we also maintain a sense of oneness throughout the next coming weeks and months together. Okay, so we have been looking at this theme called the Jesus Way, or living out God's economy here on earth over the past number of weeks. And we're going to continue that. And I can't think of a better way for us to actually have been prepared for a time such as this than walking through the good news account of the life of Jesus, according to Luke. For it was just a few weeks ago that we learnt the mathematics of heaven, when John the Baptist was uh, baptizing people and preparing them for the way of God, for his kingdom to be coming, they turned to John after they came out of the water and they said, what does this mean for us? 
And he said these very clear words. He said, if you have two coats and you see someone who has none, I want you to keep one for yourself and I want you to give one away. That is two plus zero equals one plus one. That's not the mathematics of the kingdoms of this earth, but that's the mathematics of the kingdoms of this heaven. And I can't think of a more timely equation for us to embrace and live out as we're doing our shopping, as we're doing our interfacing with people in our world around about, than adopting and living by the kingdoms of the, of the heavens mathematics. That is the economy of God coming alive here on earth just as it is in heaven. So, If that's a taster of what's in store in Luke's gospel for us, then we have much to plunge into and learn from in the coming weeks ahead. So if you have your Bible there, what I want you to do is join with me and turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. I can see other people here. They are opening up their Bibles and they are looking right now. Some of them are on their phones and some of them have got out the hard stuff. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9, 18 to 27. Now, as you're finding that place, there's a little bit of a backstory here. And the backstory is this, is that Jesus has arrived and he is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He is announcing that it has arrived on earth through him. And he is healing the sick. He is raising the dead. He is casting out demons. And he is walking around Galilee with his arms open wide saying, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you. And if you place your trust in the son of God, that is Jesus, then you will be welcome into God's family. And as he is announcing that good news, we find that in Luke's account, just before this particular story, Jesus has been out in the wilderness and he has um, provided food for or bread for 5,000 people in the wilderness. He's clustered them into groups of 50. He's gathered them around his 12 disciples. And if you were a Jewish person at that time, if you were reading those events and that narrative, you would very quickly conclude that Jesus is performing a new kind of exodus because that's just what happened with the uh, the liberation of God's people from Egypt when they were walking through the wilderness centuries before. God provided manna for them in the wilderness and by Jesus doing the same thing, a subplot for Luke's good news account is that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to perform a second kind of exodus that's going to liberate all of creation and all people from all of the dark powers. And so as Jesus is finding some space and some time alone, he pauses for a moment and he finds himself in a secluded place. And that's where we're going to pick up the story now. Let's read together Luke chapter 9, verse 18 through to 27. When Jesus was praying alone, his disciples gathered around him. Who do the crowds say I am? He asked them. John the Baptist, they responded. And others say Elijah. Others say that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. What about you, said Jesus? Who do you say I am? God's Messiah, answered Peter. And he gave them strict and careful instructions not to tell this to anyone. The Son of Man, he said, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the legal experts, and he must be killed and raised on the third day. He then spoke to them all. If any of you want to come after me, he said, you must say no to yourselves and pick up your cross every day and follow me. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life because of me, you'll save it. 
What good will it do if you win the entire world but lose or forfeit your own self? If you're ashamed of me and my words, the the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory which belongs to him and to the Father and to the holy angels. Let me tell you, he said this, there are some standing here who won't experience death until they see God's kingdom. How about we pause for a moment and we just pray because this week has been filled with all kinds of unprecedented events. And I just think it would be timely for us for wherever you are listening right now that we might pause. You might want to open up your hands, open up your mind, open up your heart that we might be able to pray together and ask God to speak to us. So Father, we just reach out to you now. You are not unaware of all the events that have been taking place and that will take place. And so in this moment, we pause and we reach out to you. And we ask that you might meet with us, that you might comfort those who are uncertain, that you might strengthen those who feel weak, that you might speak to those who need to hear from you. And most of all, that we will know your power and your presence with us today, no matter where we are. And we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a young person here this morning and you've got some of the activities, what I'd love for you to do is go ahead and start cutting out those crosses and the sets of feet. And what I want you to do, young people, is I want you to cut out one cross and one set of feet for every single person that's in the room, okay? So that is your task and we'll come back to you at the end of the morning and then we're going to distribute those out together. Okay, so what we find here, if I had a title for today's talk, it would be simply this, a defining question for defining times. A defining question for defining times. What we discover here in verse 18 is that Jesus is alone and in his very isolated place and he's alone with his disciples. In fact, Matthew and Mark's account tell us where Jesus is. He's in Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is perhaps the remotest place that Jesus will ever be from Jerusalem. And it's a decisive moment in his ministry where he is, if you like, staring down Jerusalem and he's going to begin to make his way towards that city. But here he is alone with his disciples and he is finding space to be with his father. One of the most profound things that Jesus did, a secret to his ministry in his life, was that he actually would take time away, a time from all of the pressures, time away from the expectations, time away from all of the demands to be with his father. In fact, if you like, that was the the place in which he would draw power from and gain clarity from and understand what he was supposed to do. Some of you who are listening this morning would know that for yourselves, that you've taken time away and in those times away with God, you've heard his voice clearly. You've drawn strength from him. You've sensed a, a, a direction in life that otherwise you wouldn't have known because you stole time away with him. Just last Friday, two days ago, I, I, get in, I got in the car and I drove up to Hillsville and I sat beside a little stream. I tried to fish, but the, 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 the water was too low. So I found myself just having a conversation with God, getting away from all the static, from all the noise, from all of the hype, just wanting to spend time with him. And that's exactly what Jesus had done. 
And in that place that's filled with rocks, I've been there before in Caesarea Philippi, it's just lots of rocks in that remote place. Jesus came back to his disciples and this signaled a watershed in the life of his ministry. If you like, he was experiencing a a defining moment. It was a defining moment in his ministry before he walked to Jerusalem and it was going to be a defining moment in the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was. And I trust for us this morning that it will also be a defining moment for us. What is a defining moment? Well, I like this definition. A defining moment is a point in your life when you're urged to make a pivotal decision or when you experience something that fundamentally changes you. Alyssa Healy, the T20 World Cup final, women's World Cup final at the MCG just three weeks ago, and doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago? She steps down the wicket on the first ball that's being bowled and she hits it for four. That was a defining moment in the course of the game. I remember the first time, well, the only time that I got my license. I remember sitting in the car as the driving instructor got out. I'd got my license and I was sitting there alone and thinking, oh my, there's no one to watch me here. I mean, I could just do anything. I I could speed. I could have a crash. I could just go wild. And I remember that was a defining moment. It was how was I going to drive? A year and a half ago, I boarded an aeroplane to go to Scotland, leaving family and friends and the church community here at NCR and traveled to Scotland to study for 10 months. That was a defining moment for me. I still remember walking through the departure lounge and looking back and realizing that I was traversing, that I was experiencing a defining moment and that there was no turning back. The common thing that defining moments have for us, whether we embrace them openly or whether they just come upon us, is that they all demand something of us. They all ask a defining question of us. And so Jesus comes back to his disciples, having spent time alone, and he comes to his disciples with, if you like, a defining question. He turns to them and he says, who do the crowds say I am? Who do the crowds say I am? Well, they begin to talk amongst one another and they begin to suggest different things that they've heard people saying about Jesus. Some say they said that you are John the Baptist who's risen to life again. In fact, just a short space before in in Luke's account, we hear of Herod. Herod Antipas, who had brutally executed John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and cut off his head. He was concerned and scared when he heard about the miraculous events that Jesus and the miraculous deeds that Jesus was doing, that in fact this was John the Baptist who'd come back to life again. And some people were thinking, here's John, he's back to life again, God's doing some amazing things through him. Others though said, well when we think about it, we've heard people saying that you are Elijah the great prophet, just like when Elijah called down fire from heaven and destroyed all of the prophets of Baal. This is what we see Jesus doing in the profound, miraculous events that are taking place before our very eyes. And so maybe he's Elijah. In fact, Malachi, one of the prophets, had said that when um, before the day of the Lord, before God puts all wrongs to rights, uh, Elijah will come back again and be present. Some other the disciples said, but really others are saying that you are one of the prophets, just like one of the great prophets of old. And Jesus then, if you like, leans in towards the disciples. Who more qualified would the disciples be to answer the question that he's going to ask them, which is simply this. 
I don't care what other people say. I don't care what your parents think. I don't care what your boss thinks. I don't care what the media thinks of who I am. I want to now lean in and ask you personally, who do you say that I am? Well, in that moment, which became a defining moment in the disciples' lives, Peter leans back to Jesus and he says this, I'll tell you who you are. I've watched you for three years now. I've seen the words that you've said. I've, I've seen the things that you have done. I've traveled with you. I've lived with you and I've seen everything that you are about. And I tell you this, you are God's Messiah. That is, you are the Christ. You are the chosen one. You are the son of God. You are the savior. You are the liberator. You are the one who is going to rescue us. And in Matthew's account, it's at this moment that Jesus turns to Peter and he says, well done, Peter. You haven't arrived at this truth, this insight just all by yourself. In fact, it's something that my father has done and given you a revelation of who I am. You see, the word Jesus Christ, or in your some of your versions would say Jesus Messiah, these words Christ and Messiah are not like a surname like Troy, Arnott, but they're actually a title. Christ means anointed one. And I think we're getting a battery reconnected right now. <laughs> um, uh, some teething moments there. Let's just have a chuckle together. This word, the Christ, is actually the same as Messiah, which means anointed one, the Son of God. All these things can be clustered and held together. And so Peter, looking at Jesus, said, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And you are the one we can place our trust in. And the very next thing that Jesus says are some curious words. For he says, right so you are, Peter, and now I don't want you to tell anyone. <laughs> These are really curious things that Jesus says. Why not? Well, because Jesus understands what the word Messiah and Christ means in their culture. And to understand that question, we need to actually trace back about 170 years BC to this man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. You see, Antiochus Epiphanes was the ruler of the Seleucid Empire that was in control of Israel at that time. And he was an oppressive leader and he self-styled his own name Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest or God incarnate. And a decisive moment in Antiochus Epiphanes' reign came when he entered the temple in Jerusalem, the place designated for the worship of the one true God, Yahweh, and he set up an altar to the Greek God, Zeus, and he took a pig and he slaughtered it before the altar and he sacrificed it on the altar as an offering to Zeus. And from that decisive moment, there rippled throughout the the the, the regions of Galilee, the word of what he had done, and that struck a chord with a man up in the rural regions by the name of Matthias Maccabees and his sons. And Matthias Maccabees with his son Judas Maccabees, otherwise known as the Hammer, decided that this was the moment for them to take action. So they formed a military militia, they rose up and they began to attack the Seleucid Empire. And amazingly, they eventually won. 
And as they won, they entered the temple back again and they cleansed it. They liberated, if you like, Israel from the pagan overlords and they established nearly a hundred year reign of peace, or at least of their own rule in Israel. Now, if you had have asked any Jewish person, was Judas Maccabees a Messiah type figure? They would have all agreed, of course he is. Look what he did. He defeated the pagan overlords with violence. He cleansed the temple so we could worship the one true living God. And he established, if you like, his own reign or his own messianic reign here on earth, just as we would have anticipated. And so with all of these ideas of what the kingdoms of the earth and the messiahs were supposed to be like, Jesus could see that floating around in the in his disciples' minds. And so in that instant, he said to them, don't tell anyone, because he knew exactly what people would jump to the conclusion of, that Jesus himself would be a self-styled Messiah just in the same form as the Maccabees. But Jesus' kingdom was different. And so in this moment, he turns to them and he says these words, you don't understand it now, Peter, You don't understand it, my disciples, but I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be rejected by the leadership. I'm going to be crucified on a cross and I am going to rise on the third day. You see, those things would have been so ambiguous to the disciples. To have a Messiah that died was an oxymoron. And so Jesus issues them in that moment. You could see and feel the air going out of the balloons. He issues them a defining call. And he says these words. If any of you want to come after me, you must say no to yourselves and pick up your cross every day and follow me. Now, I don't think Jesus could have picked a more provocative symbol in his time and space than a Roman cross. You see, many of the Jewish fellow countrymen would have experienced the painful death of a cross having crossed Rome. You see, one of the ways in which Rome would keep the peace in the empire is to terrorize its citizens by crucifying them. Some of Jesus' fellow countrymen would have been crucified on a cross and left hanging for days, such that any other would-be revolutionary who walked by the road would see what Rome does to revolutionaries and people who cross a line with Rome and they would hear the warning, do this to Rome and this will be in turn done to you. And so Jesus, he he takes the image of a cross and he says, if you want to follow my way, you're going to have to make decisions that will go against the flow If you want to follow my way, you're going to have to embrace the kingdoms of the heavens and not the kingdoms of the earth. You see, the kingdoms of the earth revolve around self-interest and greed and oppression and accumulation. They are interested in the self and not others. And I tell you this, if you want to follow after me, well, you've got to be into redistribution and the love of others. He says, I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who mistreat you. I don't want you to repay evil for evil, but I want you to overcome evil with good. 
You see, when someone slaps you on the face rather than punch them back, I'd rather you go ahead and actually just, if you like, take another slap than, than use violence to oppress them back. You see, if you do that, what good would it be for anyone? You see, my kingdom, you don't fully understand it, is the kingdoms of the heavens coming here to earth. In fact, he goes on and says this, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you want to lose your life for the sake of me and my kingdom, what I'm doing, I tell you this, that you will save it. You see, Jesus, what he had pictured here was the image of the kingdoms of the heaven coming to earth. And Jesus was saying to them, what you need to do if you want to follow me, you have to make a decision every day to live that way. Because there will be times and defining moments in your life when people will say to you, just look after yourself. Don't care about anyone else. You should accumulate and you should look into self-interest because that's the most important thing. You will be saving your life if you do that. And Jesus would return that in favor and say, no, you will only be building towards the kingdoms of this earth. And that leads nowhere. I tell you this. If you want to build towards the kingdoms of the heaven, you will actually operate in a fundamentally different way. You'll be so filled up with God's love and his life that you want to pour that out to others. And if you do that, if you join with me in building for the kingdoms of the heavens here on earth, and one day, one day, one day, God will come and fill this earth with just like the waters cover the sea with his glory and his power, and he will establish a kingdom that will not finish, and his reign will go on forever and ever, and you will be part of that because you would have been building towards that. So this week, I heard people telling stories like this. I went to the grocery store and everyone was just grabbing and reaching for everything they could get and piling it into their shopping trolleys. I had someone say to me, I decided not to do that, but now I'm second guessing myself. Should have I gone and just served my own interests so that I could save myself? They said, because that's what everyone else seems to be doing. You see, someone who takes up their cross decides to live a different way. Yes, they're responsible to the people around about them. They'll take what they need, but they'll also be mindful of other people. In fact, they will look out for other people's interests just as much as their own interests and sometimes even more so. In fact, Jesus went on and he said these words, what good would it do you if you gain all the toilet paper in the entire world but lose or forfeit your own self? Yes, it's actually there in the Greek. It's toileo papeo. And it's, you can imagine, you have accumulated all the toilet paper in the world and you are the cleanest person here on the face of the earth, but you have it all and no one else has any. He says, what does it gain anyone? If you've got it all and in the end, it's just building towards the kingdoms of this earth and it's leading towards a dead end. What then? In fact, I was talking to someone this week who said, I have heard stories of people that have gone ahead and camped outside of Woolies and Coles of a nighttime and slept in their cars and asked the security guards to wake them up in the morning time so they can be the first people to get in and get their stash of toilet paper. In fact, Matt was telling me just this week, he went to the supermarket and he got his pack, just one pack. And as he was heading on the way out, he, an elderly person came to him and said, where did you get that stuff from? 
And he said, well, that's okay. I'll just go and get a pack for you. So he went back into the store, got a pack for them and gave it to this man. And the person who was watching at the counter said, that is such a good thing you have done. Thank you so much. And Matt's like, that's just the simplest thing I think I can do. In fact, this week I turned up to my own letterbox and lo and behold, in my letterbox, I found this. I opened it up and it's the message on the inside said this, enjoy this random act of kindness. I'm not sure what the day will bring your way, but I hope this will bring a smile to your face. I thought, how nice. That is a kingdom of the heavens kind of activity. And what a loving sort of demonstration. It would have been kind of a little bit more loving if they had have made it three ply, not two. But nonetheless, it was good all the same. So random acts of kindness in the midst of people wanting to accumulate everything for themselves. You see, a person who wants to follow the way of Jesus, rather than just looking out for themselves, Whilst people are rightfully closing their doors, they keep their hearts open. They're the ones who are reaching in and making a telephone call. They're checking on someone else to see if they're okay. They're realizing that they have enough of things and so they're wanting to distribute towards others. They're not only doing that for the people who are their besties that can repay them, but they're doing it for people who have perhaps no ability to repay them back at all. You see, that's the kingdom way. That's the Jesus way. And it all begins with a defining moment and a defining question and a defining call. And the question is this, who do you say I am? Who do you say? Because if you say that Jesus is just a prophet, then that's all he will be for you. If you say that Jesus is a good man who came preaching nice stuff, then that's all he will be for you. If you say Jesus is a deluded man who didn't know what he was doing, then that's all he will be to you. But if you, like Peter, conclude that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the King of the world, the boss of this universe, then you have just drawn a line in the sand from which there is no return. Because Jesus would say, I'm about to go to the cross and you to have no understanding what I'm going to do but I'm going to give my life and I'm going to defeat the powers of sin and death and the devil himself and I'm going to set people free so that you do not have to fear death and therefore you do not have to fear life a defining moment of which for them nothing will be the same you know the early followers of Jesus in the first century so believed that that in moments like this defining moments when the plagues hit Rome when everyone was fleeing Rome it said that the Christians would walk back in with courage and they would walk back in filled with the love of God for people who were suffering and they would tend to the sick they would nurture the weak they would help the poor and the frail even if they caught the plague themselves and perished why and how did they do that It's because they held this deep conviction that Jesus had defeated death and overcome the grave itself. And as a result of that, they did not have to be overcome with fear because they knew that no matter what happened to them, they were going to get a new body back and that the kingdom of heaven was going to come here on earth just as it is in heaven in fullness one day and that they would be part of it. You see, my friends... If you follow Jesus 
And if you say, I know who you are, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God, you are the boss of this world, then there is no safer hands for you to put your life in than his. And this is your moment to shine. This is our moment to shine. If you like those first followers of Jesus, they were not defined by the offense around them. They defined them. Don't be defined by it. You define it in the weeks and months ahead. This is our time to shine. At the beginning of the year, we talked about as a leadership, a strategic direction, and we said that it was growth. So the first thing we did as far as growth is we set out nine catalysts for growth. And you won't be able to see them on the screen here, but some of you will have these cards. But the first one is Holy Spirit. That's why we've had Lynn Morasi with us, talking about Holy Spirit. And then the very one beside it, the very next one, and we didn't arrange it this way, but this is just so it happens. It was signaled and has been printed. It's called a defining moment. We had no idea what circumstances would come our way. But here it is, a defining moment that's asking of you and me a question of ourselves. Who do I believe in? What do I believe? In whom will I trust? And where is my hope? And the way in which you and I grow is when we embrace the defining moments in a different way. For some of you, or for many of us, I liken it to hopping on an aeroplane and saying over the next coming weeks and months ahead, we are going to have aeroplane Moments. What's an aeroplane moment? An aeroplane moment is when you sit in the aircraft and you strap yourself in and you are heading down the runway and you feel the speed of the aeroplane gathering momentum, right? And if you're anything like me, the thing that you're thinking of is, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. I'm about to launch into the air of 20, 30,000 feet and I have only tons of machinery and metal wrapped around me. And it's in that moment where the physics just doesn't make sense to me that I find myself whispering a Jesus prayer. And it goes something like this. God, into your hands, I commit myself. <laughs> because there's no other time in my life that I experience the sense of loss of control like an aeroplane moment. And for many of us in the weeks and months ahead, you and I are going to be experiencing aeroplane moments. And this is what I'd like you to do. When you experience an aeroplane moment where you sense you are out of control, I want you to pause, take a deep breath, and picture yourself in front of Jesus, standing at Caesarea Philippi in the wilderness. And he's looking at you and he's asking you a question, who do you say I am? And if you can look him back in the eyes and say, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah, the Christ, you're the Son of God, then hear his words to you. And these are them taken from John's gospel. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, troubles and challenges and sufferings, but take courage for I have overcome the world. And then choose to follow Jesus. Now we're bringing our time to an end. And I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. Do you need to have or you've been experiencing an aeroplane moment? 
Do you need to hear the, the words of challenge, the issuing call, the defining question? Who do you say I am? Or maybe you need to learn this particular truth, this verse, and you embed it in your head. Take courage, for I have overcome the world. Because to take courage, it, you can't make it, you can't fake it. What you need to do is you need to grab hold of it in Jesus and draw it close to yourself and say, I'm taking courage in you and because of who you are and what you've done this week. And so what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to pause, we're going to turn off the live stream, and then I'm going to invite you in your groups to go ahead and click on the various songs. I want you to have a moment of worship. And young people, if you've been coloring in those crosses and you've been cutting out the feet, what I want you to do in a moment is go and give one to each person that's in the room. And whether you have one or not, as you listen to these songs of worship, what I would like you to do is decisively in your mind, hold an imaginary cross in your hand and hear the words of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? And if you can say, I actually believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, then you go ahead and you mentally write those words or physically on that piece of paper on that cross. And then with the set of feet, I want you to hear Jesus' words. It's defining call. Will you follow me? And if you choose to follow him this week and in the months ahead, why don't you do is write your name on those feet and let them be a signal and a sign to you. And then what I'd like you to do after a space of worship, I want you to pause for a minute. I want you to pray together. Pray for the church. Pray for our community. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our health workers. And then lastly and finally, what I want you to do, and this is the issue challenge for serving together. What you have attached to your email is an attachment handout that goes something like this, and you can print them off and cut them out. And it's a little slip where you can fill out your name and fill out where you live and fill out your email, and you can go and post them down.